You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house here in Northern Maryland on October 9th, Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day to to all you guys. By the way, it's funny. I was thinking of doing my podcast earlier today. And I was terrified of losing power because this hurricane, you know, or the remnants of Tropical Storm Nate came through Mid-Atlantic, came through Maryland. And gosh, now that I'm recording a couple hours later, it's sunny. Unbelievable how quickly things change, Um, which is really, in my mind, (laughs) a good way to set the pace for today. Understanding what is in divine control and what is in our power accorded to us by God with our free will to take advantage and properly use the opportunities he gives us. What is a public policy issue? Something that we could redress through government. And what is something that unfortunately is a natural problem that is going to happen anyway? And I'm sure you guys already know where I'm headed here with the Las Vegas stuff and the gun control debate and everything. But first, just a word on Columbus Day. Um, You know, isn't it a shame that Columbus Day is not treated like a universal holiday, like Labor Day. I mean, what the heck are we celebrating on Labor Day just a month ago? Um, this should be the day that, you know, all 50 states celebrate equally and, um, you know, kids are off of school and, and understand what it's about. But the fact that it's so scorned upon these days is just another example of this western masochism that you see the self-immolation of western civilization that we're just ashamed of our heritage whereas you know other cultures cultures are certainly very proud of their heritage um you know to me the earliest i remember the earliest uh recognition was a proclamation by president benjamin harrison in 1892 this was the 400th anniversary of the discovery of america um, you know, right now we're celebrating the 525th. So anyway, you know, he issued a proclamation declaring it a, a holiday. And it, it's actually funny just reading what their concept of a holiday was. He said that on that day, let the people so far as possible cease from toil and devote themselves to such exercises as may best express honor to the discoverer and their appreciation of the great achievements of the four completed centuries of American life. Columbus stood in his age as the pioneer of progress and enlightenment. The system of universal education is in our age the most prominent and salutary feature of the spirit of enlightenment and it is peculiar, p- peculiarly ah, appropriate that the schools be made by the people the center of day's men- demonstration. It's funny. Now, now, now we demonstrate against it in the in the colleges. Um, anyway, he said, let the national flag float over every schoolhouse in the country and the exercise be such as shall impress upon our youth the patriotic duties of American citizenship. Certainly, I mean, I, I was just going to say, certainly this should be the theme of Constitution Day, which I think should be a federal holiday, July 4th, 
Thanksgiving. But, you know, even Columbus Day, which conservatives don't obviously regard in, in the same degree of reverence, um, just because it's it, it, just not exactly America's founding, but the discovery of the new uh, new world. And then it's just interesting the way Harrison ended off. In the churches and in other places of assembly of the people, let there be expressions of gratitude to divine providence for the devout faith of the discoverer and for the divine care and guidance which has directed our history and so abundantly blessed our people. Everything always got back to the recognition of divine providence and his blessings that he secured on our, you know, secured for us. Something that's uh, not exactly in vogue these days. <laughs> but anyway, it's just interesting seeing, uh, you know, 125 years ago what an American president, uh, you know, would write about, about a day like today. But that's what it is. It's just you think about the divine providence in America's founding and, you know, the fact that you had centuries worth of strife and tyranny in Europe and just all the, all the divine providence that went into, you know, founding this country. And, you know, now it's, it's incumbent upon us to secure those blessings that God gave us and, they're just ebbing away, ebbing away. And speaking of divine providence, so, you know, I, I'm at a couple days last week. I'm not following things real closely. Kind of a slow news cycle and come back. And what are we talking about? Still gun control. Vegas and gun control. Because Republicans operate exclusively within the confines of what Democrats place before them. It is the false dichotomies that they play, place before us, put on our table, that we just eat lock, stock, and barrel because we don't have our own agenda. When I say we, I mean the Republican Party, conservative movement. I don't mean me because I have nothing to do with them. But uh, I digress here. Anyway, Las Vegas, as sad as it is, as tragic as it is, you have to view it almost like a natural disaster, even though obviously a human being perpetrated it. Um, th there's really nothing you can do in a country of 325 million. So y you have certain things, you have trends, you have things that are redressable by public policy, deterring crime, general crime, general crime trends, punishing it, and certainly locking up people that, you know, don't kill themselves after they commit the crime. They're still around punishing them, keeping them off the streets. There's things you can do in law. Obviously, immigration, as we said a number of times, it's elective. So you can ensure that we don't allow in bad people. And to the extent we catch them, we kick them out of the country. Sadly, you know, in a country of 325 million among American citizens, you're going to have crazy, sadistic people. And if someone want, is committed to mass murder on, on a random, individualized scale, it's very hard to prevent it. It just is. It's something we just have to pray to God that we we live in the palm of his hands, that he, he protects us from this stuff. I mean, you, you could think of this anywhere. You could have a sadistic construction worker. Um, you, know, you, you could pass any law you want, but he could be committed to murdering a number of people and, you know, do something and sever some sort of accord or, you know, lift and kill 10, 20 of his colleagues. I don't know why I thought of that random example. I'm just saying you could have sadistic behavior that could create all sorts of mayhem, and there's a limit to what we can do. And and one Democrat, Dianne Feinstein, was intellectually honest enough to say, look, yeah, there, there's no law could have prevented this. <laughs> it's actually funny because she just announced she's running for a fifth term, and some people on the left 
are upset. So just to demonstrate the rise of the alt-left and how far these people have moved, she's now considered a moderate. But anyway, this is such an easy thing to swat down. That this is uh, this is a terrible thing. You can't politicize it, and then continue going on offense. Actually, use this as a time to pass pro gun legislation. Because the reality is, people see the left in there, and when I say the left, I don't mean the smarter ones. I mean just the guys rabble rousing in the streets. They think that every time you have one of these tragedies. It's more of an impetus, creates more of a momentum for gun control. And the reality is the opposite, that people feel unsafe and they feel they need to protect themselves. Whether it's an Islamic terror attack on our soil, whether it's just another domestic you know, massacre, it's the same thing. People feel unsafe. They vote with their pocketbook. And you're seeing that with record gun sales, um, despite you know all the cl- clamoring for gun control at a political level, the people aren't there. Yet Republicans managed to take the most winning issue they've probably secured over the last two decades or so. It's probably the only issue that Republicans have secured an enduring political victory. Even Democrats that are smart will tell you that, yeah, I mean, we, we lost the gun issue. Uh, you just see it in the culture that the, the guns are put in the hands of the people and they feel safe and they're never going to turn back on that. Somehow Republicans managed to turn a winning issue into a losing issue. So now you have Republicans everywhere clamoring, um, oh, we, we, we got to go and ban bump stocks, bump stocks. That, that's the new DACA fix. Uh, he needs gravitas. Remember that? You know, when Rush Limbaugh pointed that out, uh, they, they hone in on a word, a term, an idea, and, and that becomes the newest rage, bump stocks. We're now going to look at the, the, the color of the shirt the guy was wearing, and you know, it had nothing to do with anything. You're not going to stop that. Now, obviously, bump stocks, um, my understanding is, I mean, I have no experience with them, as, as do most people, but uh, they are mainly for people with disabilities in their hands, reduced hand strength that um, needed help uh, just, just pushing the trigger and, and firing. Um, but, you know, anyway, the NRA is out there preemptively surrendering. Oh, yes, we support banning of this. This should be, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're even saying that the ATF should go ahead and preemptively regulate it even without an act of Congress. Now, and again, I don't know the nuances if this is within their power, but I do know all of this is unconstitutional. Reality is, I think all of you in the audience probably wouldn't miss bump stocks, and that's partially what's motivating some people to do a preemptive surrender. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll give this to Bale. We'll, we'll, we'll give this to Malok. We'll give this as our sacrifice, the bump stocks, and then they'll leave us alone. They don't understand that is how they win. You give in to them. Because the truth is, it's all unconstitutional, and it all doesn't make a difference because it's already on the market. Once something's on the market, all you're going to do is just prevent, you know, like the like I was saying, the people with disabilities from from getting them when they do, go target practicing practice. But the the bad dudes, anyone who wants to do this, will get it on the black market. Like they can get anything. Like anyone who doesn't pass a background check could go and get a gun. Um, although this guy passed it, which shows what a joke it is. Um, that you can't regulate something like this. You can't prevent it. Same way you have a gun free school zone, and all it does is freezes the guns from the hands of. People could fight back and, you know, it doesn't dissuade them. 
but they think that this is a way of preemptively just giving them what they want and running running away but instead you actually agree to their premise and and this is the theme i want to point out today democrats believe so strongly in their views that they'll take any tragedy, any news story, and they'll use it to advance their agenda, even if it clearly is an airball and has nothing to do with what happened. Yet Republicans will refuse to go on offense and use news stories as an impetus or a tragedy to, to push what's right, even when it clearly is redressable. The, the, the contrast is pretty unbelievable here when you look at the two parties. Defense, defense, defense. No offense. What I find so egregious about the NRA, what's really starting to disturb me about them, and I've, I've pointed this out for a number of years. I've mentioned it on, on this show, in this space, you know, numerous times. The NRA is beginning to, I would say their, their liabilities are beginning to uh, outweigh their, their positives. Now, not to say that on a state level and the culture they don't do a good thing and have and haven't done good stuff to advance the debate, but their federal GR team, you know, their federal lobbying shop is just completely bankrupt. They've become part of the swamp. It's more about maintaining power, maintaining this phony veneer of bipartisan support, um, in with GOP leadership and the establishment. They love their power. They don't really want to promote gun legislation. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how Republicans have controlled government for what? Nine months? All branches of government and not a single piece of gun legislation has even gotten a markup. And the one thing that they were going to have, you know, the silencers, the the vote to end the ban on silencers, well, now they, they're, too, they're too scared. They should have specifically held it this week. I'm sorry. Go on offense. That's what the left does. But nothing. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? Because the NRA... The NRA is like someone that wants to hold the ball and doesn't want to pass it. They want to say they have the control, but but to what end? So isn't it interesting that every Republican member has a 100 rating from the NRA? Guess what? It's like having a thousand batting average the day you start baseball. Yeah, you're zero for zero or one for one. They don't vote on anything. And the reason they don't vote on anything is because of the NRA. They will actually block conservatives and fight against conservative efforts to pass pro-gun legislation. And it makes no sense. You know, at a time when Republicans can't do health care, they can't do taxes, they can't do anything. This issue is the one universal winner. Um, there, there's some of the legislation that has Democrat co-sponsors. You have a number of Democrats up for re-election from pro-gun states. You got Tester in Montana, um, Casey in Pennsylvania, Manchin in West Virginia, Hyde Camp in North Dakota. What's her name? That clown from Missouri, um, McCaskill. I mean, if you want to drive a wedge and pressure them. This is the way to do it, but the NRA doesn't want to pressure them because the NRA is for their power. I pointed this out in an article a while ago. Um, this must have been maybe the spring, the summer of 
2010, when Republicans were desperately trying to win back the House from Nancy Pelosi, the NRA went and endorsed about 60 Democrats, all the so-called blue dogs, all the people we needed to defeat in order to get a GOP majority. And, you know, because they're saying, well, they're pro-gun. Yeah, they're pro-gun because they filled out a survey that said they're pro-gun, but they won't actually do anything to affect it. And at the time, I noted that if the NRA, if you put all their endorsements together, if if they would actually succeed in their endorsements, you would have Pelosi in charge of the House. How does that help the gun legislation, the pro-gun agenda? It doesn't, but it helps their power. So the NRA has kind of become similar to what I've criticized APAC for with, with Israel, that they're actually a false flag operation. They're perceived as the strongest pro-Israel advocacy, much like the NRA is perceived as the strongest pro-gun lobbying shop, but the reality is they use their power to score points with the other team. They'll refuse to bring any pro-Israel legislation to the floor that has meaning. In other words, we'll actually cut off aid to the PLO. We'll actually end this stupid two-state solution. And they'll vehemently fight against those who do because they want to give off this veneer that, well, we have the establishment of both parties supporting us. Similar thing with the NRA here. So don't be surprised by what they're doing. And kudos to our buddies at Gun, Gun Owners for America. They they never back down. Um, I, I would say, you know, anyone who's a member of the NRA, they should consider switching. Uh, they actually will fight for us. And they pointed out that this is this is just dumb. <laughs> You're just giving in to them for nothing. There's no political need for this. Um, it, it won't stop anything. And you're just agreeing to their premise. And 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 again... The temerity of the NRA to be pushing this when they're not lifting a finger to promote legislation. It's it's funny that John Cornyn, John Cornyn is one of the guys that was at least report, reportedly uh, said based on a, a political article, maybe New York Times article quoted him as well. Well, we got to look into this. I didn't know much about it. This this might be a problem. He has a, a piece of legislation that would force reciprocity on right to carry in all the states why isn't he pushing it why is there no markup in the senate judiciary committee why is there no floor vote why you know right after the scalise shooting and and that was a tragedy that proved our point because we're not trying to say you could stop these type of acts but we're trying to say you know from from someone plotting them but what you can do is have everyone armed these people didn't have guns they could have mowed them down right away they were lucky that Scalise was there because he had security detail the other members wouldn't have had one but why should you need a security detail you should be your own security so Tom Massey wanted to at least this is more moderate Bill he said all right at least let's get rid of um you know, the anti-carry in D.C., and D.C. is a federal jurisdiction, so have federal legislation done. Nothing, nothing. NRA didn't push it. Silence, complete silence. Now, suddenly, when when there's this clamor in the political sphere, not in the public, but but among the politicos, to, to go after bump stocks, oh, suddenly the NRA is, is lively, really. So, I mean, this, this is something that's lost in a lot of people. And, and what's very upsetting about the NRA is that they're now acting like the Chamber of Commerce in their 
sphere. They're they're acting as an establishment incumbent protection racket. So if you remember, they were down there in the field in Alabama running ads against Roy Moore saying how anti-gun he is. So here's what they do. They protect people like Luther Strange who, yeah, they're, they're pro-gun in theory, but they will not do anything like, like a Tom Massey to push the issue. We'll put up challengers that will actually give voice to these issues and actually try to strategize to push legislation to a vote on, on program initiatives. And instead they the NRA attacks them and, and backs the do nothing incumbents to continue this racket. It's interesting that Stephen law, um, who is, he, he's the guy who heads that Senate leadership pack that dumped millions of dollars in the Alabama Senate race against Roy Moore. And one of the, he wrote up a memo on what worked, what didn't work. And it was actually kind of interesting reading it from his side because I agree with most of it, just the horse race of it. And one of his points was that the most effective hit against Roy Moore was the NRA because everyone respects them. It's similar to kind of the pro-Israel grassroots activists in this country respect APAC. They think, well, they're, they're the gold standard for that. Well, the NRA is the gold standard for guns. Well, not on a federal government relations side. They're not. They're just the opposite, but people don't realize it. So when they go out there and run ahead and say, hey, Roy Moore sucks on guns and Luther Strange is your man, he actually lost a couple points there. You know, he still won, but um, he noted that that was very effective. And my fear is they're going to keep doing this with other people like Jeff Flake, like uh, maybe Dean Heller, some of these House members that are getting challenges. So, Again, watch out for the NRA because this is a huge problem. And I want to address some other cases here of what I mean to contrast to Las Vegas. What is in our hands? What is a tragedy that happens that actually does have public policy implications? That there are things we can do to address it and things that Republicans should do to, to utilize the news cycle or actually create the news cycle, because often it's not in the news, but Republicans need to use their megaphone to, to talk about it. And, you know, again, I, I, I hone in on immigration sanctuary cities, the rising crime in general as a result of loosening sentencing and having police stand down. And now, again, some of this is on a federal level. Some of this is more a state issue. But th- that that's the irony. We're talking about shootings and killings and Nobody, what nobody is talking about what we put out um, last month, the FBI statistics on the rising crime after 23 years of decreasing crime, two years in a row now, the trend is reversing. And it's very clear the only thing that has changed is, you know, the, the jailbreak legislation and, and the war on the cops. So, I, look, you know, 60 people getting gunned down, that, that, that is a big deal. I mean, this was the worst. But, you know, last year, there were 7,881 black homicide victims. By the way, that's almost 1,100 more um, than than whites. Okay? I believe, no, I'm sorry, 1,300 more blacks were killed than whites in 2016. So... There's no outrage about that. And again, that's not just virtue signaling. That is a policy problem. Right? These are broad trends. It's not a matter of one isolated incident. It's a broad increase in crime. Yet Republicans don't want to talk about it. And in fact, I'm hearing 
that da 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 inspector gadget jared kushner i mean he's just he's just everywhere you know in in comes jared to hijack every issue he's working with durbin and others on criminal justice reform criminal justice reform to ensure that more of these animals are let out on the streets you know there's no denying that in the 1980s when they threw all these people on the streets uh, took took them off the streets Crime went down. It, it, it wasn't rocket science. You know, they, they complain about the incarceration rates and everything, and the truth is that they're exaggerated, but the reality is there's a direct relationship. When the, the pop prison population went up, the crime went down, and now that they're, they're easing them out, it's funny because there's a delayed reaction. The pro-crime uh, lobby, the cr- criminal leniency industrial complex out there, is promoting this notion of, oh, we, we, we really need to, there's way too many people in jail. And it's funny because it's a delayed reaction. We actually peaked out 10 years ago. Now it's been on the decline. And incidentally, one, you know, that could be one of the factors why crime is now increasing despite, you know, just decades of, of, of decreasing here. But nobody's talking about the Ferguson effect. Nobody's talking about sanctuary cities. Nobody wants to talk about this. Um, you know, let me get, get, let me give you another example here, and I'll write about this later today in an article. Where is this from FoxNews.com? This is just from a day ago. They reported this: an illegal immigrant in New Jersey is accused of raping a six-year-old, then jumping out of the second-floor window after her father walked in during the assault. Edgar Mendoza, 32, is accused of breaking into a Trenton home at about 1.30 a.m. on September 19th and molesting a six-year-old girl while while she was in her own bed. Unbelievable. Um. Let's see where they go on. Mendoza, originally from Guatemala, faces charges of burglary, endangering the welfare of a child, sexual assault, and aggravated sexual assault. I I mean, the the point is, again, stuff happens, bad stuff happens, but this is avoidable because he shouldn't be in the country. He should have been deported long ago. But you have the sanctuary city policies. We we did a series of articles over the last couple weeks on that, where... People that were let go by sanctuary cities went on to commit murder. That's something you can do. That's something you could redress. That's not random. But there is no conservative movement or Republican Party creating this sense of urgency to deal with this as much as we have the freaking bump stocks. Which should, it just demonstrates that we live in the universe that the Democrats present us with. We live in the world that they create for us. That's what's so sad about this. There's a lot of other problems here that absolutely need to be redressed. You know, there's the case of Peter Hackett, um, the father of six who was killed in Texas, him along with his two youngest kids by an illegal alien was drunk driving or fell asleep at the wheel. Um, Now his wife is speaking out. um, There's an article at townhall.com on that. And I mean, you know, oh, so I'm sorry. The, the The issue there is the judge gave him a two year sentence. Now he's going to be let out soon, and she wants fixes to that. Where's the sense of urgency, the clamor to pander to someone like her? And again, I'm not just saying the injustice of focusing on what the left wants to focus on, but not focus on the victims we want to focus on. It's not that oh, these victims are more important than the victims of Las Vegas or whatever. It's that this is actually redressable. This is directly resulting from i mean you don't have liberal judges let them go you don't have sanctuary cities here what are you going to say 
have gun control? I mean, Dianne Feinstein admitted this guy passed a, a background check. Anything Democrats want to do wouldn't have prevented this. You know, if you if you could go back a thousand years and just press a button and prevent guns from being put out in the market, then, you know, maybe you could debate whether that would be a good idea to do that and prevent guns from being created. But, you know, they, they're there. So all you're going to do is just take them away from, you know, law-abiding people that need to defend themselves from those that have a gun that are bad people. But anyway, that's what's so frustrating. There's nobody pushing these narratives on immigration, on criminal justice. And, you know, I want to end off... You know, maybe I'll touch on this in an article if I have time or just in more depth. But, you know, speaking of jailbreak, this is a growing problem in a number of states, particularly in California, um, where where the, the biggest criminal elements are being let out. And in California, I just want to, you know, just raise awareness with, with our audience here because I feel bad. There's not much I can do, but I got an email yesterday from Devin Lombardi. Um, she is the sister of um, uh, what, what's his name? I'm I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, in- Ingebreston in in California. Oh, what was his name? Do 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 do. I I I feel really bad. I'm forgetting his name here. But anyway, her brother was killed and um brutally murdered in 1997 by this man nathan ramazzini although he was 16 at the time and then there was another person who was 18 um so california passed sb 394 which basically is to reduce the sentencing of life without parole to 25 years with parole for those that were convicted uh to life as a juvenile for heinous crimes. This is a very big problem because some of it, to a certain extent, the reopening of some of these cases is mandated by the Supreme Court in the Johnson case. And then they applied it retroactively. Um, I believe last year they applied it in, in uh, Welch. They applied it retroactively. So this is a huge problem because you can imagine, I mean, anyone thrown in jail for a heinous murder, I mean, and actually convicted life in prison without parole it's hard to convict someone uh when they're 16 years old i mean you let them out when they're in their 40s i mean dude there's no there's no good solution to that i mean this is something that is so avoidable but the judges are doing it left and right on their own on on a federal level on a state level um states like california are passing new laws just jailbreak left and right um and she sent me an email just hey is there anything you can do to raise awareness and the governor you know has a couple couple more days to sign or veto this i'm sure he's going to sign it in the end and uh you know i sent i sent her a message off to my some friends of mine who work for the attorney general jeff sessions but i don't know what you could do it's a state thing here but what is interesting is that it's not a priority as much as it was last year when i covered it when it looked like they're really going to do this um, but Tur- Durbin, and, and I'm sorry to say Mike Lee is on board, and Rand Paul, this whole jailbreak business, one of the things they want to do is the leniencies for, for the so-called juveniles, or those convicted as ju- juveniles, which, by the way, on a federal level, most people, are not, I mean, a good chunk of them that were you know convicted for murder when they were 16 and they're in a federal, not a state prison, they're going to be like MS-13, because it's going to be an immigration issue, they're going to be MS-13 dudes. And yeah, 
I mean, th- th- this is similar to what they want to do on a federal level. Mike Lee's bill, I'm sorry to say, uh, to what California is doing here with um, SB 394. So th- th- there's no clamor to use victims. And I don't mean to be in an insidious way. But, you know, getting back to the old Willie Horton thing, I mean, Republicans don't do that anymore. (laughs) Heck, because now they're siding with the Willie Hortons. This is the imbalance between the parties. Whereas Democrats, they'll take a losing issue and try to work as hard as they can incessantly, keep coming back, keep coming back to make it a winning issue. Republicans... They'll take a, a winning issue and turn it into a losing issue in three seconds because that's what they do because they fundamentally don't believe in what you and I believe in. Democrats say jump and they ask, how high? And sadly, that's how it's going to be on every issue until we reassert ourselves. And I don't know what it's going to take. But anyway, sorry to end off on a sad note there. Happy Columbus Day. Let's celebrate our heritage. Let's celebrate our founding. Let's celebrate the divine providence. Let's take the gifts that God has given us and use them properly. Um, and, you know, what, what's hidden is for God, but what's revealed is for us to, to deal with. And we, met, we have to understand that distinction. Till next time, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.